Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Glad to be in church. Let's go. Come on. A little bit, a little bit. Hey, as we get into the message today, just a quick update on a couple things that are happening around here. You know, last year we launched into an initiative called Beyond, where we just had this two years of expanded generosity to multiply kingdom impact. And one of the things that we wanted to do through Beyond was to launch a church in Chinandegua, Nicaragua with Compassion International. Let me hear you say Chinandegua. Just kidding. Um, but uh, so we were able to actually do that, to start a church in Chinandegua, Nicaragua. And so it's about halfway up. The walls are about halfway done and they already have 35 adults and 75 kids attending with no roof so that's pretty awesome And so the way that works is uh, in October, we're going to have opportunity to sponsor all of those kids who are in that project, in, in that Compassion International project. They provide, uh, you know, their mission is to release uh, kids from poverty in Jesus' name. And so they provide holistic training from spiritual, educational, health, family, all the things that they Every, every kid that's sponsored actually impacts seven more kids. And so we're going to get to sponsor all those kids in October. Then we're going to get to take trips down there to help build and help invest uh, in that ministry there in Nicaragua. will be a great opportunity for us. Hey, another little, little known fact about Stone Creek, not that I would like to brag, but I'm going to brag just a little bit. Um, you know, Compassion International, uh, in the state of Georgia, we've sponsored more kids through Compassion than any church in the state of Georgia. Hello? And not only that, we are top 20 in the country in churches that sponsor kids through Compassion International. So that's just a testimony of the kind of people, if you're new here, that's the kind of people you're sitting next to, right? Um, we just want to make a difference. And so now that was the commercial. Let's jump in. Let me ask you if you heard this, this phrase, you've heard of this. You've heard of Murphy's Law. Anybody? You've heard of Murphy's Law? Like Murphy's Law, it, its origins are a little, bit, uh, 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 a little bit suspicious. However, it looks like it came from Captain Ed Murphy, who was in the Air Force, and they were trying to discover the impact that G-forces had on the body of human beings. And they used specific gauges to do that, and the gauges always seemed to be malfunctioning. And so there was a technician who always worked on the gauges, and Captain Murphy blamed the technician for the gauges always being wrong. So he, would, he said something to the effect of, if he knows how to break it, he'll break it, you know. And so that's where we get the idea of Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law says what? If something can go wrong, it will go wrong. Like you've experienced it. That's your life today, isn't it? Like you know. So it, it, it plays out in a lot of ways in our life. For instance, you may be working on that project. You got to get it turned in by Friday morning. You're up late on Thursday and your computer crashes and you didn't save a backup of your latest project. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Right? Just not, not good at all. You, you know, it could be for you. Maybe, you know, you invite your entire family over for Thanksgiving. First time they've been together in years. As a matter of fact, first time they're going to talk to each other. And while they're there, guess what? The septic tank backs up, Right? That's Murphy's Law. Or maybe you plan this great vacation, you're going to go to the beach and you're so excited about it and you've worked all year for it, kind of planned for it and you've had to stay up late, but you just keep telling yourself, I'm going to the beach, I'm going to the beach, I'm going to the beach. And you finally get to the beach on Sunday morning along with Hurricane Ida. That would be Murphy's Law. And so we know that things go wrong. As a matter of fact, some of you say this to yourself, this always happens to me. You ever say that to yourself? Something bad happens, you're like, this always happens to me. You get in line at the grocery store and you get in the shortest line because you know that's going to be the quickest, even though we should learn that by now. But you get in the shortest line and someone up ahead of you is paying with a teller check and you're like, this always happens to me. 
And then they start to pay with cash. Don't they know there's a coin shortage at that particular store, right? And it just takes forever and you take so long. And sometimes things happen to us and we think it always happens to us. And what can happen if we don't understand what's going on is we'll think that we're the problem. We'll think that Murphy's Law happens to us, bad things happens to, to us and only us and it has nothing to do with anything else. But the truth is we all face opposition in life. Amen, somebody? Like we all face battles, we all face obstacles in life and especially if you're going to do a great work you know we've been we've been talking through the story of Nehemiah the memoir of a leader named Nehemiah in the Bible and Nehemiah was charged with rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem now the wall had been broken down by their enemies and the people were at risk so Nehemiah comes from a long way and he shows up and he's going to rebuild the wall and one of the things that Nehemiah says when, he, when people try to distract him, they try to get him off task, he says this, I'm doing a great work and I can't calm down. So we've been wrapping the last few weeks around this question, what great work are you doing? Like what great work are you doing? Like in your family, what great work are you doing? You know, if you're married, in your marriage, what's the great work that you're doing beyond just staying married? You know, if you're a parent with kids, like I guess if you're a parent, you have kids. So that's what that means. So um, if you're a parent, right, like what, what great work are you doing as you invest in and raise and bring up your kids? Like in your job, like what great work are you doing beyond just earning a paycheck and getting through the next day? What great work are you doing? And because in every great work, there's a great battle. We're going to reframe the question a little bit for today. Like what great battle are you choosing? What great battle are you choosing? Because if we're honest, if we're honest, sometimes we choose really small battles, really small battles. And you can always kind of tell your battle by, by what you complain about. You know, if your greatest complaint today is that your Amazon package was late, that may be a small battle. You know, if, if your greatest complaint is that someone's violating your HOA covenants today, don't worry, there's someone else that'll complain about that, you let it go. <laughs> Maybe, maybe your battle's too small. And here's the problem. Man, small battles equal a small life. Small battles equal a small life. And you want a great life. Like you want a life that's big. You want a life that matters. And listen, if it's worth building, it's worth battling for. And anything worth doing is worth fighting for. And if you want to build something great, you're going to have some great battles. And it's not just you. And God's not holding out on you. This is part of the way the world works, that we face great battles. And listen, the size of your battle, the battle you choose, determines your great work. The size of the battle you choose determines your great work. And so we're going to get to see kind of the opposition creep up in Nehemiah's life today and how he handles it in a way that's healthy and in a way that helps him continue his great work. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to work through all the, uh, most of the verses, not all of them, like last week with all the names in the gates. Anybody here for all those names last week? Wow, that was something else. Uh, grateful. I know you're grateful that's not happening again, and so am I. Uh, we're going to start out chapter 4. We're going to start out in verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Now, they started work on the wall. 
They've started work so that you're actually visibly starting to see the wall come up and then they face opposition. It says this. Now, when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. So what that means, he just started making fun. He started trash talking. That's what we would call it. We call it trash talking. So he gets mad. He gets frustrated. Now, Sambalot was the governor of Samaria, which is another country right next to Jerusalem. So he's got a vested interest in Jerusalem staying down not winning, not being rebuilt. So he jeers and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? So he starts calling them names. He says, will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes on it, he will break down their stone wall. So he, they, just, he just, they just begin mocking Nehemiah for all that he's doing, the work that he's trying. And, and, and this is what happens whenever you, whenever you change, whenever change is proposed. I mean, that somebody's threatened and somebody's going to criticize. Somebody's going to oppose the change that you may be proposing. And this is what we see happening because Sambalot has a vested interest because he knows that if Jerusalem is rebuilt, that it's going to be a financial problem for him. It's going to be a political problem for him. It's going to be a religious problem for him. And so he's threatened. So hence, this is where the criticism begins to come from. And anytime you start to do a great work, you can expect criticism. Like whenever, whenever you decide to get sober, you can expect someone's going to sabotage your system. Because they, and they may, they may do it unintentionally, but what will happen is because their world is being threatened, because their world is about to be turned upside down, they're not going to know the expectations that they can have. They'll begin to actually sabotage your efforts to get sober, even though it is the great work you should be doing right now. You know, anytime if you go to get married, guess what happens? Someone, you're going to face some opposition or some critic. You know, whenever uh, a couple, uh, maybe I'm engaging or helping them to, in their process of getting married and they want me to marry, I always tell them this, hey, if you're the bride, this is your one day. This is your one day to actually be selfish. Forget what Jesus said. You can be selfish on your wedding day. Because here's what's going to happen. There's going to come somebody who's going to say something critical or say something passive aggressively and they're going to want to steal your joy and they may not even know it but that's what happens because we're upsetting the status quo and someone's feelings get hurt because they don't get asked in and all of a sudden you've got this little small battle you get drawn into simply because you're just upsetting the apple cart of their life now now battles come from three different areas number one they come from satan right we're going to face opposition from satan we're going to face opposition now. And many times Satan isn't so much about our destruction as he is about our distraction. Hello? Can you say distraction? Like we have a world of distractions that will keep us from the great work that we should be doing. You, you, now there's obviously things like social media and the news. Um, there's uh, all kind of entertainment options that we have, right? That is what happens and we get distracted and we miss the work that God wants to do. So Satan is a place where that can come from. You know, we, we also are pretty good at sabotaging our own great work. Amen, somebody? Like, are there are those times when you're tired or selfish. You know you want to, but you can't. You don't want to, but you do. I didn't want to eat that late at night, but I did. I didn't want to drink that much, but I did. And the things that we don't want to do, we do. And the things we should do, we don't. And, and sometimes we can sabotage ourselves. And then also the third category. So you have Satan, you have yourself, you have the world. And the world is just any system that's designed to take us away from what God's great work is in our life. 
Now, this, this plays itself out in a lot of different areas in our life. So, for instance, it happens if you ever decide to be in community with other believers. How, how many of you guys have ever been in a small group? Ever been in a small group? Like, look around, right? I mean, you know what it's like. You know, your group meets at 5 o'clock on Sunday, and you get ready, and then the baby has a blowout diaper, and then the phone call rings, and then you get a flat tire, and you're just like, I just don't think I can make it right? There's just this opposition that happens and you just chalk it up as to a bad day or Murphy's law, but reality, someone's trying to keep you from going there because it can actually change your life. I've never talked to anybody that fought through the opposition to get to group and said, wish I wouldn't have come there. That was a waste of my time. Man, we know, man, if you ever start to try to give and be generous to other people, guess what? You're going to face some opposition. It may be church. It may be some charity. It may be an individual. You're trying to help out with your finances and what's going to happen? Like your air conditioner is going to break. You'll be like, I'm not, I guess I'm supposed to give that money. I literally had a guy one time, he decided to give, his car got stolen. I was like, why would you take my advice? No, I'm kidding. And then, so what did he do? He's like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have given. I'm like, no, you should have given more because God would have probably taken that car and given you a new one. You just didn't give enough. Just kidding. That's not even a thing. But when you begin to give, what happens, what happens, right? It's opposed. When you begin to serve, it's going to be opposed. And we face this in every area of our lives when we try to do a great work. And we should not be surprised when we face opposition, when we face criticism. Here's something that we should learn from this. We shouldn't be the one that's the critic. Right? Like we shouldn't be the one that criticizes other people's dreams or other people's great work. Like we need to be the people that other people want to tell their dreams to because you're going to breathe air into them. Like it doesn't mean you're going to lie to them and say false things, but it does mean that sometimes people need someone to just to breathe life into them, to put wind in their sails, and that's the kind of people we want to be. You know, as Roosevelt said, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the one who points out where the strong man stumbles or the doer of good deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man in the arena whose face is marred with sweat and dust and blood, who strives valiantly, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who gives himself in a worthy cause. And at best, he knows the triumph of high achievement. And at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place may never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. It's not the critic that counts. It's the man in the arena. That's the kind of people that we want to be. Yeah, come on. So check this out. I love, I love Nehemiah's response. I love Nehemiah's response in verse 6. Um, excuse me, in verse 4. He starts to pray. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Don't cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. It's like God poke them in the eye with a sharp stick. I mean, it's, it's hard to reconcile this a little bit when you know that Jesus said to pray for your enemies. And here Nehemiah is like, just, just rip them, man, tear them down, beat them up, and let them be exposed. And so there is some tension in there when it comes to his prayer, and I understand that. And I wonder if, if sometimes we, we have the tension because we are just afraid to be that, that blunt and honest with God. As if God doesn't know what, already what's going on in our heart. And so, but sometimes there are enemies of God and, and there are some prayers that we should pray. But I think more than that, what I've learned from this about Nehemiah is if I'm criticized, and I think maybe you as well, 
The first person I talk to is not necessarily God. The first person I want to talk to is my critic or my enemy. What about you? And sometimes I may not talk to them face to face, but I have this amazing mental conversation with them. You ever do that? Like I can wrap somebody up and I can make a case so airtight that I could present before the Supreme Court. Don't you? Man, I mean, we have these conversations about with people and about people and we lock it down and why they're wrong and why we're right and why they're a bad person and why they should be cursed and why they should go to hell. We just wrap it all up. You, not me, like we wrap it all up in our head. And one of the things that we need to learn to do, and I think this is what Nehemiah did. Man, we need to learn to talk to God about the things we're talking to you about. Like the the conversations that you're having with yourself, we need to learn to have those conversations with God. Rather than letting them wrap up in our mind. Because the number one problem with the critic is that we, with criticism is that we get focused on the critic. And it distracts us from the great work that God has called us to do. And we... The greatest enemy that we have most times is what we think other people think about us. When we think about what they think about us. And we wake up in the morning, we're thinking about it. What am I going to wear? How is that going to be received? If someone that works for you, are they going to like me? Are they going to be mad at me? Are they going to be angry? And, and we face this internal criticism and we worry about what other people are going to say. And it and it takes us off mission. Listen, when we know what God says about us, guess what? We won't be worried about what other people say. And when we know that God's good and has got our back, then we don't need to worry about defending ourselves. When we know that God is going to be with us and never leave us or forsake us, then we don't have to worry about what other people think about us. And too many times that's taking us off track to the great work that God has given us. And we're focused on people who don't care about us, don't want any part, anything really to do with us, just want us to keep us from doing the great work that God has called us to do. Talk to God about what you're talking to yourself about. Now, now here's another thing. What I would say is don't listen to your critics unless they're right. Don't listen to your critics unless they're right. Now, now there's two kinds of critics. There's people that love you, love Jesus, and want what's good for you. And you know those people, don't you? I hope. If you don't, get in a group. Didn't you hear the, didn't you hear the man? Now, there's also people that don't care about you that will criticize you. But does it matter? The criticism, sometimes there may be a little kernel of truth in there that you could learn from. Like Nehemiah, there was some truth in there. The reality was the wall was broken down. There was rubble. And they were feeble. They didn't know what they were doing. Like, but don't let the facts become the story. Because if you're going to do a great work, you're going to get criticism. Now, I'm a pastor. I never get criticized, so I really don't know what I'm saying here from experience. But you, and if you, if you are a leader in any kind of way, you get criticized. Your boss or the people that work with you or the people that work for you. And, man, don't let criticism become the point and distract you from the great work. And so Nehemiah prays, and then watch what happens. Just a few short words that really paint the picture. In verse 6, so we built a wall. So we built the wall. We were criticized, so we built the wall. We prayed, so we built the wall. They were coming against us, but we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Just built the wall. And and when it says they had a mind to work, a couple of different nuances there. The first one was they just decided. They made up their mind. They pre-decided they were going to build the wall. And they weren't going to be distracted. And there are so many things that we predecide to do. 
Like how many people have already pre-decided they're paying the mortgage on the first? What is that, Wednesday? You're going to pay your mortgage. You pre-decided that's going to happen. We know that. When you get married and you stand at the altar and you say, till death do us part, like you're pre-deciding that you're going to be married till death do you part and good or bad, like you've pre-decided. There's so many things in life that we pre-decide. They had pre-decided. Now what tends to happen is when the going gets tough, we're like, oh, did I really want that? Is this really worth the effort? Can I just get new vision and a new great work to do? Because this one really got hard. Like, I liked the idea of this great work when I started, but now it's not, doesn't have all the sex appeal that it did when we first started. And we try to go back and start over. And not these guys, they built the wall. They had a mind to work. Now, I love what the NIV says. The NIV kind of phrases it just a little bit differently. It says, we rebuilt the wall to half of its height, and the people worked with all their heart, all their heart. So it just means they were wholehearted. It just means that they were all in to build the wall. Like their heart wasn't in pieces. Like I want to rebuild the wall, but I also want to get back to home. And I'm wondering what else has happened. Like they were wholehearted. Listen, wholehearted people do the greatest work. Wholehearted people do the greatest work. Listen, you don't want anybody half-hearted in your life. How many Georgia fans in the house? Raise your hand. Yep, yep, yep. A lot more came to church today because there's a game Saturday, but that's fine. Nah, jokes. But listen, hey, Kirby Smart gets up Saturday, says, yeah, pregame, com- pre-game press conference before they play Cle- Clemson next week. He's like, hey, yeah, you know, well, well, I hope we play good, but, you know, win or lose, it'll be fun. You're not, he's, he's fired, right? That's half-hearted. We play to win. That's not the game. Now, you may lose, but at least lose trying to win. You know, you don't want me to get up here half-hearted and be like, hey, you know what? These things would be good for you, but if not, eh, your life will be fine. Like, you don't want half-hearted. Hey, when you go to get married and you get down on one knee and you ask him to marry you, I know what I said. God, you get it? That, that should never happen. I just wanted to use that as a little excuse. That should never happen. He gets on his one knee, asks her to marry him. Ah, yeah, okay. I'll be married to you for half the time. We don't do that. Go for surgery. Ask your doctor if it's, if it's going to be successful. Ah, maybe. You don't want a half-hearted doctor. They were wholehearted. Wholehearted people do the great work. And here's where the tension comes in. You have to ask yourself this question. Does Jesus have half your heart? Like, does Jesus have half your heart? Like, oh, I think as long as it goes good for me, you provide me the things that I want, you give me a good life, an easy life, like does Jesus have half your heart? Man, there's this one great story about that with Jesus. There's this point where he's doing some really difficult teaching with his disciples and there's the crowds that are around him and it's so hard, he's really leaning into them. They just begin to peel off. They're like, this is too much for us. And so they begin to leave. And then he's got his closest followers around. And I don't know about you, but it feels like in that moment, once the crowd is left, you just kind of want to rally the troops. You want to consolidate but not Jesus. He keeps leaning in. He says, hey, do you guys want to go too? Why would he ask them that? Why wouldn't he encourage them in that moment? He wanted to be sure that they were giving him his whole, their whole heart. And Peter says to him, where, where would we go? You have the words of life. And this is what we have. The reason why we give Jesus our whole heart is because he has the words of life. So we know Nehemiah, the way that he dealt with the battle, he prayed, and then he prepared for battle. So at this point, there's been a little criticism. It didn't work. They kept building, 
So now full-on frontal assault is about to happen. Like military strength is about to be placed against the nation of Israel. So Sambalat and Tobiah begin to plan that. In verse 9 it says this. It says, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So they prayed. That was good. But then they, but then they prepared for battle. And sometimes I think that we think that prayer is kind of the battle and then we just step back and don't do anything. And what, what we see from Nehemiah is, yes, we pray, but then we also get engaged and we also, we also fight. Listen, if it's worth praying for, it's worth fighting for. It's, if it's worth praying for, it's worth doing something about. It's worth getting in the battle. And then we see how they prepared, starting out in verse 15. It says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction. So these are Nehemiah's servants. Half worked on construction, half held their spe- spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that they labored on their work with one hand. So think shovel in one hand, and then it says they held their weapon in the other, sword in the other. They had, a we- they had their tool in one hand, they had their weapon in the other. And says each held his weapon in the other, and each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. While he built. So, yes, they built and they also prepared for battle, but they never stopped the great work. And whatever you're praying for should be something that you're working for. Like, you know, a few weeks ago, we, we had people grab bricks and wrote prayers. How many of you guys grab bricks? And you wrote a prayer. A lot of people, and we've got them all over the place in people's offices. I had mine in my truck until my son said, that may not be a great idea. I had it up on the dash so everybody could see it. He's like, yeah, I've seen your driving. You probably should move that. And so, but there was five different prayers that we wrote down on the bricks. The first one, for instance, was uh, that we'd see 365 people. God add to our number day by day. And sister, if that was you, if you wrote that on your brick, then one of the ways is you should pray for that every single morning, and then you should invite somebody every single day. That's how you actually do the work and battle and prepare and do the work and build. Like maybe you wrote down kingdom culture, and kingdom culture is just this idea that we'd be a place where people serve, people bought in, people got in groups, people read God's word, people prayed for each other. And listen, if you wrote kingdom culture, those are the things that you should be doing. That is how you actually get in the game. You know, we prayed that we'd have five campuses in five years. That was a little bit of why we started the church down in Nicaragua. And if that's you, then you should begin praying, begin planning to be able to go down there, begin saving money to be sure that you get to be part of all that God's going to do down there. Another one was just that we would see a glimpse of God's glory. And the way that you do that, right, is just to show up, man. Show up in the room, show up online so that we can see God do something in our midst that's unmistakable and undeniable. And then also, of course, sacrificial generosity. If that's the one that you prayed for, if that's what you're praying for, then that you should be organizing your finances to give sacrificially, that you should be planning and cutting back here and thinking about ways that you can give sacrificially. That, that's what it looks like to, to be in the battle and pray and to prepare to be able to make a difference and to see what God do something in this generation. And so Nehemiah, man, they, they battled. And then they stayed ready. Look in verse 21. It says, we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, this is Nehemiah talking, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So what you see is that they they just slept in their clothes and they were ready for battle. 
You know, and, and we have to stay ready. You have to stay ready. And clearly you stay ready, number one, through prayer. Like there shouldn't be a morning that goes by. You don't wake up and say, God, I need help for this day. Because if you get into a tragedy or a struggle or a battle, it may be too late to start praying and preparing your heart for that. doesn't mean God's going to leave you, but you may end up being a casualty if you're not prepared. You know, another way is just to be faithful to read and understand God's word, to let it just soak into our hearts, transform our lives, and create something new in our lives. That's another way that we prepare. You know, another way is just showing up for worship. Over and over in the Bible, what we see is that worship actually is warfare. Like, it's what prepares the way for God to do something and for God to show up. And another way that we stay prepared that we see in all these verses is by locking arms with other people who are fighting the same battle. That's how we prepare. You know, so many times we try to do life alone, but these guys knew they couldn't, so they all had their own part. They all played a part. They all did the things that they needed to do. You know, one of the things is we say our value, as Ryan was talking about earlier, is to fight for relationship. You know, if relationships are the most important spice of life, the most important ingredient outside of God, it's no shock that they're opposed and that they're difficult. It's no surprise that we're going to have to put some effort and energy into it. So we fight for relationship. Like, think about marriage for a minute. How many of you guys are married? Right? I mean, so we got some people in here who are married. Now, one of the things I hate for people to say is like, it's just a lot of work. It's just a lot of work. And maybe it is work, but don't say it like that. Uh, you know, there's something good on the other side of it because it's worth it. And it's worth letting the small things go. It's worth being selfless. It's worth giving your life to. And it is energy and effort. You know, and I think in a, one of the things that we should have learned through COVID is the, how, how devastating loneliness can be. I don't know if you've known anybody who was in the hospital over this time, but having to be in the hospital, whether it's ICU or a regular room, without having family and friends around you is just devastating. And if you, know, if you get on the phone and you could talk to people, but just to be alone is extremely difficult for people. Doctors will tell you that, that, that patients that have a strong support structure actually get better the fastest. And without that, when that was ripped away from people, it caused some problems. You know, at the end of the year, some of you guys know, my end of, end of this, beginning of this year into last year, my mom was in the hospital for about six weeks, had a lot of intestinal surgery and just a lot of problems. And early on, uh, she, we, there was only two hours someone could go in and see her. And my mom's 80, right? And so we couldn't go in to check on her, be with her, hang out with her, do the things that she needed. And so till finally it got to a difficult point that I got in my truck and drove over there to check on my mom. I was really checking on the people who were taking care of her. And so when I went in, one of the things I was able to do was to have more visiting hours just to give us time to be with her. And so I leaned over to her when I went and she has a tube in her nose that's pumping her stomach out. And she says, Stephen, I think this may be it. I just don't know if I have it in me. So I leaned over to her and I got it right in her face and I said, Mom, the Lord has sent me here to tell you that you are going to Annalie's wedding. Now, I don't know if the Lord told me to say that or not, but it was definitely the right thing to say in the moment. But just being there and then, then pretty fast after that, she begins to get well. She makes it to Annalie's wedding, of course she did. And now I've been able to be around to see the birth of her first great grand, second great grandchild. So... That is the value. That is what people need. Man, we need people in our life. We need people to point out blind spots. 
You know, we all have blind spots, and we need people to show us, show us our blind spots, but also to show up in our blind spots. And what I mean by that is if you have people around you who care for you, who love you, and they see you have a blind spot, they're going to help fill in the gaps when you need it. And we all need that. Listen, you'll be a lesser version of yourself by yourself. You'll be a lesser version of yourself by yourself. Like the card that's in your chair right now. Don't look at that as a card. Look at that as a life preserver. It may save your life. One of the things we like to say is if you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. Listen, you can run really fast for a short period of time, but who wants to do that? You know, I'm not, we're not like Def Leppard, better to burn out than to fade away. That's not our lives. Nehemiah went far and Nehemiah went fast. You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. You want to go both, go with God's people. That's how you can do both. Listen, you need this. You need relationships. If you're in this place right now in your life and you don't have that, you need to fight for it today. You need to fight for it today. You need to fight for it in your family. You need to fight for it in your homes. You need to fight for it in your neighborhoods. You need to fight for it for your life. And now, now it's not only that we need this. Look in verse 14. Verse 14 says this. It says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It's a little bit of that William Wallace speech. Remember the Lord. Fight for your family. Fight for your homes. The reason why they have to do that is not just because they need others, but other people need them. And other people need you. It goes on to say, uh, down in verse 18, it says, the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. This is Nehemiah talking. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great, widely spread, and we are separated on the wall. Separation always brings danger. Listen, lone wolves don't last long. Far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Now, the trumpet just seems like something that's unimportant. But just to paint the picture... Because they were all spread out along the wall, what Sambalot and Tobiah would do is they would gather forces from all the other uh, military operations in the area and they would focus their attack on one specific area of the wall. And because they were spread out, there would only be a few people working on the wall at that point. And so they needed someone to rally everyone to defend the wall right there at the point of attack. So where the, the, they'd have the trumpet, it would run to that point of the wall, they would blow, and everybody would come to right at that point because they needed each other, and somebody needs you. Like who close to you is blowing their trumpet today with some need? Like you may not even know it. As you look around, as we talk to people and as we hear stories, man, people are struggling, whether it's anxiety Man, marriages seem to be on the rocks more than any point that we've seen uh, recently. People's health is struggling. People are asking questions about meaning of life and some of the big picture questions of life. Like, like, who is it close to you that really needs you these days? You know, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, be kind for every person faces a great battle. And what he means by that is when you meet someone, you don't know what's going on underneath the hood. You don't know what's happened to them that week. You don't know what bad news they got. You don't know what challenge they face. You don't know what confusion that they're enduring. 
I mean, we have to be intentional about engaging people. Hey, who are you fighting for right now? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? You know, is it, is it your neighbor, someone at work? Who are you fighting for right now? And if you can't identify that, now would be a great time for you just to begin to reflect. Who do you need to text? Who do you need to call? Who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to schedule lunch with? Who do you need to schedule coffee with? Who do you just need to call and say, how are you doing? Like, who is it that you're fighting for? Man, this is the great battle of our life. And yes, it will be hard. And yes, it will be inconvenient. And yes, it will probably be expensive. But it will be so worth it. Because you want a life that's big and great. And so does God. He has that for you. You know, I think that for us to close out just talking about how Nehemiah and, G- and Jesus connect during this particular part of the story of Nehemiah. Now, the one thing we know about Jesus, many of you have heard he was a carpenter. Probably not completely true. Hate to burst your bubble. Jesus was a builder. The word that we see in the, in the Bible that describes him just uses the word builder. He probably was a stonemason. A guy who would have been an expert at rebuilding this kind of wall. You know, there wasn't a lot of lumber in those days. There probably wasn't a lot of woodworking that happened. Jesus was a builder. He came as a builder. He could have come as a military hero. He could have come in, gotten the right training, been part of the military. He could have come as a great business leader. Man, Jesus could have come as a priest. Man, Jesus could have come as an entertainer just to have a platform. Like he could have come in any way, but Jesus came as a builder like Nehemiah. And Jesus came to build his kingdom and to build his people. This is the work that Jesus came to do. And you see how, this is how he treats people at every turn. When he meets someone, he wants to build into them or rebuild what's been broken down to restore what's, what's, um, what's broken in people's lives. And he wants to do that in your life. And he wants to rebuild your purpose. He wants to rebuild your marriage. He wants to rebuild your relationships. He wants to rebuild your identity. He wants to rebuild your security. He wants to rebuild your life. This is, this is the work of Jesus. But not only that, we know that the Bible uh, depicts and paints the picture of Jesus as a great warrior, the king of glory, the Lord strong in battle. And we know that Jesus fought for us by overcoming sin, and overcoming the greatest enemy, death. That Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and then he grants us that. He takes that and gives that to us when we follow him. Like, this is how Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Let's pray together. So we just have a couple of minutes here that are just quiet and especially in the world we live in we don't really have a lot of those moments where we can just have a little reflection time to examine what's going on in our heart maybe I just want to kind of walk through two questions during our prayer time if we just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed you know the first question I would ask you is Jesus just have half your heart man have you thought about ah we can I should go in with him but I can't I don't know what he's going to do and I don't think he really is going to come through for me. Listen, if he's got half your heart, he might as well have none of your heart, so you should give him your whole heart. If he's got half your heart, he's got none of your heart, so you might as well give him your whole heart. If that's you today, just making this decision that today's the day, I'm going all in. I'm going to be wholehearted. I just want to lead you into prayer for that. 
that this could be just that day where things change for you, that you really get in the battle and you stop fighting for yourself just to survive and you start fighting to take new ground for other people. So I'm just going to invite you to pray after me just as you make this commitment to follow the Lord. Dear God, I believe that you're good and have good things for me. I've tried to do it my own way and I haven't given you all my life. I want to be wholehearted and do the great work that you've given me to do. I commit to follow Jesus and believe that you died to forgive me of my sins. You know, if that was you today, I'm just, we're just going to, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to let you mark that moment. I'm just going to mark that moment. The way that we do that is just, I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to invite you just to slip your hand in the hair and just let's just make eye contact. Just wait for you to mark the moment and say, today's my wholehearted day. So on the count of three, if that was you, I'm going to invite you to do that. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Thank you. So the next question is, who are you fighting for? You know, who is it that needs your help? Who is it that God's put on your heart? Who is it that's come to mind? Maybe it was earlier this week. Maybe it was today while we're talking. Maybe someone you haven't thought about in, in years. Or maybe it's your neighbor and you just talked to him last night and you were busy and tired and needed to move to do the things you needed to do and weren't able really to engage. Like, Who is it that you're fighting for? Just pray for them right now. Just pray God will give you opportunity to help, that God will somehow show himself to be real in their life and relevant, and that God would just begin to do a great work in their life. Hey, God, that we'd be a church that just fought for the lives of other people the way you fought for us, that you didn't leave anything in the bag. God, you left it all on the field, God, for us. And Lord, I pray that we would, people would just know that that's the, the kind of God that you are and the kind of God that we serve. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.